Hello, my name is Vitruvius Grind. But you may know me better as the Hustle Architect. Welcome to the secret wisdom of architecture. In this session, we will discuss methods and techniques to maximize your grind and fortify your hustle. With a reinforced mindset, success in architecture isn't just possible. It's inevitable. Before we begin, let me say a few words about myself. A long time ago, before I became the hustle architect, I doubted my capacity to design beautiful and functional architecture. I did average work, in an average way, at an average speed, for average results. I wanted to achieve more, but I didn't know how. The full history of how I became the hustle architect is a tale for another day, but in short, I came across a set of secret techniques and hidden wisdom that changed my life forever. The purpose of this tape is to share a little of that wisdom with all of you. Of course, this can only be the beginning of your own journey into mastering the architecture of hustle, but every masonry structure begins with a single brick. Now, let's get started. Part 1 Materials, Sensations, and Grind Do you hear that? Do you know what that sound is? That is the sound of someone hard at work. Let's listen a little more. Hypnotic, isn't it? As the seconds tick by, we feel ourselves lulled into a sense of comfort and support. A sensation of firm foundations and warmth. You can almost feel the glowing hearth at your back and the thick, fluffy rug beneath your feet. This sound is a primal sound, one that goes back to our oldest ancestors. This is the sound of someone using a stone mortar and pestle to crush and break apart larger materials into fine pastes or powders for further use in the kitchen, pharmacy, or workshop. This is the sound of grinding. The real sound. The oldest sound. Back to the Stone Age. For 35,000 years, this sound is what grind meant. When we think about grind today, we usually mean it metaphorically. We grind through emails. We grind through presentations. We grind through shop drawings. So much of our grind is abstract. Digital. Broken apart from our physical, tactile senses. It can be easy to lose track of the origins of grind and our connection to our great human chain of ancestors. 
Let's take a moment to pause and contemplate this chain of grind. Your grandmother's grandmother's grandmother, 1000 generations back, woke up one morning to the light of the sun on her face, the gentle caress of the morning breeze on her cheek. She stood. Yawned. Stretched. Stepped outside and felt the dew between her toes. She ate. She shared a joke with a friend. She sat down by the creek and began to grind. She did this long before social media, before the internet, before electricity, even. She began to grind thousands of years before humans began drinking coffee. She ground grain for bakers to turn into bread for the community. She ground grog for the strengthening of ceramic vessels to store food and water. She ground herbs and minerals for pharmacists to mix into remedies for the sick. She ground plants and pigments for artists to use in their creations. She ground dirts and clays for masons to build with. She taught her daughters how to rise and grind. Her daughters taught their sons. The sons taught their own children, and on down the line to you and me. We are the proud inheritors of this long human tradition. When we rise and grind today, we do so with the support of this entire family tree. Every prior grind leads us to this moment, and every grind we undertake today adds to the future we build for our community's grandchildren's grandchildren's grandchildren. The next time you find yourself struggling to grind, remember that you are not alone. Feel the weight of that stone mortar in your right hand, the pestle in your left. Feel the same ancient energy of the eternal cosmic grind turning within you. Rise. Grind. Rise. Grind. Rise. Part 2. Structural Considerations for a Memory Palace The memory palace is an ancient technique of hustle architecture, used to aid in remembering complex ideas and cataloging vast arrays of information. Marcus Tullius Cicero and Marcus Fabius Quintilian both discussed the creation of a memory palace in their writings on oratory. The idea has been further developed by other writers and thinkers in the intervening centuries. But how exactly does it work? At its core, the memory palace technique is about creating a mental model of a structure and filling in its rooms, corridors, niches, nooks, and corners with the names, locations, and ideas we want to remember. As we imagine the walk through our mental model, our mind's eye passes over each of these details and we recall the abstract information they refer to. Take a moment to think of something you'd like to remember. Maybe it's the birthdays of people in your office. Maybe it's a list of Pantone color codes or a set of master format divisions. Perhaps it's a list of important buildings and dates for an academic piece you're writing. Anything you need to remember can be approached through this technique. Do you have your memory goals in mind? Good. Let's take a few minutes to envision a structure to hold this information. Let this soundscape in the background inform the structure you design. 
associate each portion of the structure you imagine with a key item to remember. Match up detail with memory one-to-one -one as you envision the promenade through the space. How did you do? It's okay if your first time, or even your hundredth time, constructing a memory palace doesn't feel like it captures everything you hope to remember. This is normal. One of the biggest challenges of the memory palace technique is in how we approach the design. Time spent specifying finished materials and textures, selecting furnishings and fixtures, and adjusting lighting within the space is essential. Time well spent. But is it your most important concern when starting a new project in the office? Of course not. We have to take into account site planning, programming, massing, and construction type before we can begin to address these later concerns. To a naive designer, the excitement of creating, and the term, palace, can lead to an overwhelming focus on the facade and too high a priority placed on symmetry and ornament, to the detriment of functional considerations and, most importantly, structural concerns. Over the centuries, countless memory palaces have collapsed under the weight of additional memories and information, unaccounted for during the initial design. Memory palace renovation can become exceptionally costly, structural elements need to be added or reinforced. Wouldn't it be better, then, to approach our memory palace construction from a holistic, structurally informed view? When we design buildings for the real world, we keep in mind a whole host of considerations, including code, climate, client, budget, context, and so on. We understand these considerations to be essential to creating lasting architecture. Why wouldn't we do the same for our memories, which some might consider to be the most important clients of all? Other guides and resources will teach you how to approach the interior layout and furnishings of your memory palace. But few understand how to work from first principles. This is one key component of the secret wisdom of architecture. When you build a resilient memory palace, you build a strong memory. From a strong memory comes an iron mindset, and from an iron mindset comes success. So why wouldn't you want the best memory palace possible? To build a Pritzker-level memory palace, let's return to our mind's eye. Follow these steps, answering each question in turn. As with any design process, you may need to pause and rewind to explore multiple iterations. But every ounce of effort put into this exercise will repay pounds of reward. For listeners more familiar with the metric system of measurements, every 28.3 grams of effort will repay between one half and three kilograms of reward. We'll gradually bring the soundscape back into our world. Close your eyes. Return to your memory site. And let's begin.
Look around you at the site for your memory palace. Look down at the ground beneath you. Hit the ground a few times with the heel of your foot or with a stick. What does it feel like? Is it soft? Firm? Sandy? Earthy? Is there already a foundation in place from a prior structure? The entire weight of your memory palace will bear down onto this ground. Be sure to understand it well. Now return your eyes to the horizon. Look around you. Do you see trees? Rocks? Clay for making bricks? What challenges or opportunities do you see for accessing the site? At this point, you may begin to form some rough idea of what types of structures might fit well here. Let's keep working. Look up at the sky. What can it tell us about climate? What do your other senses say? Is it warm here? Cool? Hot? Dry? Think about how the sun will play across the site, and what seasonal changes might mean for your palace. In the background, we can hear a skilled union carpenter sawing away at a board. They're doing a terrific job. Think about the labor that will go into building your memory palace. What skills will be needed to build your vision? Does your mind's budget and timeline support the people doing that work? As you can see, there are quite a few considerations to be made here. And we're only getting started. You have a clear vision in mind of what you need to remember. But let's suppose that someday you need to remember more, or less, than you're expecting today. Can your palace keep flexibility in place as you grow and change over time? And perhaps the most important question of all, is a palace even the appropriate typology for memory? Or does it narrow and constrain your expectations in a negative way? Let's take a step back and look at what we have so far. In front of us sits a memory architecture. Maybe a palace. Maybe a library. Maybe a museum or public housing or train station or phalanstery. Whatever it is, it's ours. Are we prepared to take some steps regarding massing, construction type, and structure? Wonderful. Let's begin to think about footprint, plan, and program. You may have chosen a particular module, structural bay, or grid. As you begin to program the space, does that still fit? If not, feel free to adjust it and revise. Work in section and elevation as needed to refine and develop. All of your architectural skills have prepared you to develop a cohesive design from some of these initial considerations. Your own ideas about style, ornament, and form will be in productive dialogue with questions of circulation and material, along with a thousand other factors. Good. 
let's try a few test cases. It's early summer, and a gentle rain is fading into sunlight. Can you remember the first item on your memory list and its location in your memory architecture? How does that space feel right now? Beautiful. One more. It's late in the evening in the middle of winter. Maybe a cold wind blows. Maybe snow is coming down. Let's walk through our memory architecture to its innermost region, its most insulated chamber. Can we remember what is stored there? Do you feel secure here? Are your memories safe? Protected? Has your structural system performed admirably through the changing of the seasons? Do you feel comfortable with the wear of the materials, the character they've taken on since initial construction? Excellent! This is the essence of the memory palace. This is one of the key pillars of hustle architecture. Learn it. Remember it. Live it. Part 3 The Hermit Crab Model of Leadership Featuring Greg Talent Nobody hustles alone. One of the best ways we can learn and grow is by sharing space and inviting wisdom in from others. In this spirit, I have asked my longtime friend, Greg Talent, to share one of his lessons for leadership with all of you. Take it away Greg. Hi. I'm Greg Talon. I'm thrilled to be here today. Vitruvius and I. Go way back. I'm an architect, motivational speaker, ocean lover, drummer, husband, and writer, not always in that order. And today, I'd like to talk to you about hermit crabs. Hermit crabs have what my friend Vitruvius calls a growth mindset. Unlike us, hermit crabs' bodies never stop growing as they get older. For many species of sea life, this sort of thing isn't much of a problem. But for hermit crabs, this can be a huge issue. As you might know, hermit crabs use found materials, like empty seashells on the beach, as homes to protect the softer parts of their bodies. When their growth mindset comes into conflict with the fixed size of their shells, what happens? An amazing lesson in leadership and organization. Imagine before you a single empty shell on the beach. Up walks a hermit crab, close to outgrowing the existing shell on its back. Maybe this new shell is just a little bit larger, exactly what the hermit crab is looking for. If so, then it's easy. The crab will crawl out of its old shell and into the new one and go about its day. More often, though, the new shell won't be a perfect fit. It will be too large or too small for the hermit crab to use. But this empty shell on the beach is the right size for somebody. The first hermit crab on the scene will wait by the shell. Gradually, other nearby crabs will wander over. Some of them may be looking for new shells too. All of the hermit crabs are growing, all of the time, so there's a good chance that someone will be a good fit for that empty shell. Here's where it gets interesting. 
Now an elaborate ritual plays out. All of the hermit crabs that are gathered around size each other up, comparing their various shells. Looking left and right to their neighbors, they begin to arrange themselves in a row, from smallest to largest. The smallest crabs need shells that are only a little bit bigger. The larger crabs need shells larger than their own. All up and down the line, what each of the crabs needs most is a new shell just one size up. But where would they find one? From the hermit crab right next to them. The elaborate dance begins. One crab shuffles out of their existing shell and into the empty shell that started the whole assembly. The next crab quickly moves into the shell just vacated. And so on down the line, with each crab moving into the home left behind by the crab ahead of them. Finding just one new shell gives new homes to the whole neighborhood. Isn't that beautiful? Let's think about some lessons we might take from the hermit crabs and bring into the office. Maybe instead of shells, we can think about members of a team. Sometimes, someone will leave our team. Maybe they retire. Maybe they or their spouse get an opportunity across the country, or a promotion into a different department. Just like an empty shell washing up on the beach, this sort of change is normal and natural. We shouldn't fight it. We shouldn't be afraid of it. We should, like the hermit crab, look at it as an opportunity to improve the situation for everyone. Let's continue this example of a vacancy on our team. Maybe the person responsible for filling the vacancy is a good candidate themselves. This can happen, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with this sort of quick, internal readjustment for certain roles. But more often, there's a complex office ecosystem, and the person responsible for finding the right candidate is not themselves a good fit for the job. Let's look around the office then. We have a range of people, with a range of skills and backgrounds, interests and goals. This is a fantastic moment to put all the metaphorical shells on the table and figure things out. Team member A has been working part-time for a while and wants more leadership experience. Team member B, just came back from paternity leave, but wants more opportunities to spend time with his child. Team member C is looking to increase their technical skills and experience. Team member D, is thinking about going back to graduate school, and wants a chance to do work that might help their portfolio and boost their confidence in their applications. Chances are, none of these descriptions fit exactly the personal and professional lives of our team when they first applied to their current roles. Just as the hermit crabs need to continually adjust their settings to their changing bodies, we have to continually adjust our place in the team hierarchy to our changing needs. A good leader will help encourage and facilitate this. So let's complete the metaphor. As leaders, we should encourage everyone to make honest assessments about the shells we have, the shells we want, and the shells our office has available. This includes ourselves as well. We will need to have a little bit of flexibility and teamwork, as not everyone will be able to work on exactly what they want to be doing all the time, but that doesn't mean we can't still try to get things lined up in a way that improves everyone's lot in life at least a little bit. Maybe team member A can step into some of team member B's responsibilities, so team member B can spend more time with their spouse and young children. Here we have a win-win scenario. And maybe team member C and D can shuffle some of their obligations and responsibilities around to provide each of them with some tasks that better fit their goals. Now, by talking about one vacancy, we've understood and improved the work life of our entire team. And that's nothing to be crabby about. 
I'm Greg Talon, and thanks for listening. I'm so glad Greg was able to share that insight with us. Every time I talk to him I learn something new. I'd like to add just a few additional thoughts about the relationship between leadership and grind. What makes a good leader? What makes a great one? Certainly anyone in a leadership role would benefit from having a good understanding of a hustle mindset, but is that enough? Let's think of it another way. Think back on some leaders you've had in your life. Some have been good, some probably not so much. What separations exist between the two? In my experience, one key distinction rises above all others. A bad leader will use their authority and influence to further their own goals, with zero regard for the satisfaction, well-being, and flourishing of their employees. A good leader will pursue their own agenda alongside the goals of those who work for them. But a great leader. A great leader will achieve a perfect alignment of mindset between their own ambitions and those of everyone around them. Not just parallel goals, but overlapping. My satisfaction is your satisfaction. My well-being is your well-being. My flourishing is your flourishing. My grind is your grind. When Greg talked about leaders following a hermit crab model in situations of change, I heard a great leader at work. Isn't it beautiful how nature inherently understands what takes us years to learn? In fact, that's another lesson. The secret wisdom of architecture is all around you, if you know where to look and how to listen. Next time you take a scenic train ride, or a long hike through the woods, pay attention to the natural world. That's the best leadership seminar you'll ever find. Part 4 Hustle, Visioning We've learned a lot today. Before we wrap up, I'd like to do one last exercise to put together some of these skills. You might find that you want a notebook open in front of you to sketch out some ideas as we go along. What we're about to do is something called Hustle Visioning. You may have encountered professional development courses before that ask you to craft a vision. This is not all that different from those. But naturally, this exercise is stronger for being infused with the eternal spirit of grind. 
If you haven't done an exercise like this before, listen closely. Here's how it works. A vision is an imagined future of a place you want to be. You can almost think of it like a rendering in the mind. Some parts will be clear. Some parts might be fuzzy. You might think certain things feel unrealistic or intimidating. That's okay. That's normal. The idea behind this sort of activity is that by developing and thinking through a future state we want to arrive at, we can begin to map the journey from here to there. Over the next 8 or 10 minutes, I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Try to answer them as openly and honestly as you can. If you don't know an answer, that's okay. By following this sequence of questions, we'll move from a hazy vision to a clear one, and from uncertainty to a defined list of steps we can take. If you're ready, let's dive in. First, how far in the future would you like to set your hustle vision? I like to think in a one-year span, but you might have something else that works for you, maybe tied to a significant life event like a graduation or a retirement. Pick a date in the future and hold it in your mind. Next, let's think about the context. Would you like to set a vision for your career? Or for your personal life? Or is your vision about the relationship between the two? There are no wrong answers here, but as we move through the questions, it will be helpful to stay aware of where the vision takes place. Good. Now, in your vision, what are you wearing? I know this might sound strange, but you wouldn't go to a big presentation without thinking about how you dress yourself. Consider this a client meeting with your future self, and dress accordingly. You look radiant. You're healthy, comfortable, confident, unstressed. Good work. We talked about context, but now let's imagine the setting a bit more specifically. Are you at home? In an office? On a vacation? Let's recall some of our earlier lessons today and think about our sensations. Just a bit more to really cement this in our minds. What is the quality of light? Are there sounds in the distance, aromas in the air? Remember, these are your aspirations, so there's no need to be shy about the sort of vision you want to create. Okay, good. Who is with you in your vision? A partner? A project team? Clients? Family? Students? Someone else? Who's there?
Everyone there with you in your vision is meaningful to you in some way. Take a moment to look each of them in the eyes and say, Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for what? They might say. Tell them. Maybe you anticipate some uphill battles between today and arriving at your vision. How did your friends or family support you in those times? Thank them for that. Or, how did your professional connections make space for your success? Think about what you want from them in the coming months or years, envision them stepping up, and thank them for the support they provided. Now, you know where you want to go. You've seen and felt what that place is like, and you've thanked the circle of friendship and support that helped you get there. Let's turn inward for a moment. What will you need to do to get to this vision? Instead of starting from today, start at the finish line and work backward. What's the final step you'll need to take to achieve your vision? And what's the step before that? Work slowly, one step at a time. You might not have all of the answers, or some of them might seem intimidating or unrealistic. That's perfectly okay. Break steps down into smaller pieces if they feel overwhelming. Step back and look at these stepping stones as a whole. Are there themes you see? Maybe larger life choices like returning to school or moving across the globe. Or maybe smaller changes to habits, like getting more sleep or reading more. Pick one of these steps, probably closer to your current state than your vision, but not necessarily. Pick one of these steps and hold it in your hand. What is one thing you can do tomorrow to begin this step? Commit to it. If your vision involves being more active, maybe this one thing is taking the stairs instead of the elevator. If your vision is about a more vibrant social life, take a few minutes tomorrow to call up a friend you haven't talked to in a while. If your vision involves advancing or changing careers, spend a little time researching some training or education opportunities that might be a good fit for you. None of these have to be huge steps all at once. We're looking for small things that we can control. Grinds we know we can manage.
Tomorrow, take that first step. You could even pause this tape and do it right now. If you wanted. Once you've taken one small action, you're on your way. Trying to accomplish an entire vision at once is impossible. But taking a hundred little steps and making a hundred little choices. That's hustle. You can do this. Now we have one last thing to do before our visioning is complete. We need to make two metaphorical phone calls. First, think of someone who has been an inspiration or a mentor in your life. Imagine a conversation with them. What do you want them to know about where you're headed? What would they say to you? I think they would be very proud and supportive, but you should walk through this conversation yourself. Even if you aren't able to talk with them in real life, in this space of hustle visions, they are here and excited to hear from you. They believe in your vision. I do too. Next, think of someone who looks up to you. This might be a family member, a friend, a student, a co-worker. In our darkest days, we might think that nobody looks up to us, but that's never really true. Once you have this person in mind, make your metaphorical phone call to them. They're excited to hear from you. Tell them about your vision and how you plan to accomplish it. Tell them about that first step. They'll have questions. Answer them. Just as you have a mentor supporting you, you're now modeling behavior to a mentee. Just as grind is an unbroken chain across millennia, these relationships of mentorship connect us to our past and future. Having these metaphorical conversations will help keep you accountable to your vision. If ever you feel your confidence lagging, have a hard week, or encounter adversity, remember these conversations with the people who support you and believe in you. You're taking these steps for yourself and also for them. They understand if things don't go according to plan. They understand if your vision changes. The metaphorical vision phone is always there if you need to talk with them. And there you have it. Repeat this exercise as often as you like. You'll learn something new about yourself and your vision every time. We've learned a lot today, and I appreciate you being here with me. If you enjoyed what you heard, then please share this knowledge with others. The secret wisdom of architecture doesn't have to stay a secret. I'm Vitruvius Grind, and I'll see you next time. Thank you, and goodbye.